we're noisemakers. And we do that because we, not because we're tooting our own horn, but I think because we see the value in what's available. And in my opinion, and I've said this, uh, I don't know, I can't even count how many times I've said this, and I will say it probably countless more times, which is that women's soccer and women's sport, women's soccer specifically, but I think women in sports um, as a whole um, are the greatest, deepest, richest well of talent, intellect, uh, and um, future forward thinking that we have. There, there's nothing that's more um, untapped and more ready to make a difference than women in sports. What is up, everyone? Welcome to the Players Pod, where I get to sit down and talk to some of the biggest names in sports about the untold stories behind their success. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and on today's episode, we are joined by none other than Brandi Chastain. Brandi Chastain is one of the most accomplished U.S. women's national players to ever hit the pitch. Her iconic World Cup winning penalty and subsequent celebration made Brandy a household name in 1999, but her career was so much more than just that one shot. A two-time World Cup champion and Olympic gold medalist, Brandy recorded 192 caps with the national team and was named to the USWT's all-time best 11 in 2013. After retiring from playing, Brandy has remained active in her sport as a youth coach, and she continues to inspire the next generation. Brandy, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so very much. I appreciate It's good to be here. I, uh, before, as I was preparing for this interview, I was like, if my 12-year-old self knew that I was about to sit down and interview Brandi Chastain about her career and life and the things that she has done that I watched unfold as a kid, like, I, I wish I knew that I'd be sitting <laughs> here today with you. Like, that's, it's just a, it is a pinch me moment, so I'm, I'm, so excited to have you on. Thank you for coming on. I'm really excited to to go through your career um, and talk about all the things that you accomplish and the ups, the downs, all that good stuff. Um, but I first want to start with earlier this year, uh, the Players Association of the NWSL passed the league's first ever collective bargaining agreement. And it's a really big milestone for the league, for women's soccer in America, and you were also a part of a lot of milestones, which we're going to go into a bunch of them. But I'm curious, are you impressed or disappointed by how far women's soccer has come since you were a player? Oh, I'm honestly, sometimes I'm a little bit speechless because mm. I was literally writing a card to a girl, uh, a high school freshman who at her all girls school, they do a woman of impact day and each freshman has to create a place setting and it could be any woman in any genre and this young gal did a place setting of me and the women's national team and she made this beautiful plate and you know all these you know the world cup trophy and a medal and an atlanta like your atlanta hat and you know and so i wrote her um a letter to say that when I began this journey, I had no idea where it was leading me. I literally thought that the end of it was 
walking the two blocks to my, the elementary school for practice, going down to the other elementary school to kick the ball against the wall with by myself because there was no one to play with. And the weekends where we got to, I literally drove across the Golden Gate Bridge from down in the South San Jose area. And I literally thought I had crossed the world. And then that was the end, right? And I mean, that was my world. And to see, so when you ask me the question, I, and I think back to my eight, nine, 10 year old self, I think I had no idea how monumental and immense women's soccer would be. And yet I feel we're just at the beginning with mm. what we, what has been accomplished this year in 2022. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of me that says we have a lot to do. But I am also incredibly proud and humbled and honored of what we have done so far. I love that. And it is interesting. That's such a good way to put it, that that was your world and that's all you really knew. And to think how widespread and how far you went just because of the sport uh, is cool to look back on. Um, When you guys were forming the league in 99 after the World Cup, yeah, 2001, um, 2001. Oh, it, did, it didn't start until 2001. Yeah. Oh, I thought it started in 2000. Um, all right, so 2001. So in 2000, you're forming the league. Yep. Would you say, like, what were your expectations of where we would be now <laughs> with the league? <laughs> uh, I think that's a good question because I think it depends on how you, you attack it, right? Mm-hmm. So if you were the league office – they attacked it like, Hey, we're on park at, we're on fifth Avenue in New York city. Yeah. We're we're, we're next door neighbors to the NFL. Mm. We're spending a shit ton of money on an office because mm. we, we want to belong. Right. So was, did that, is that actually where the league's office was? Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we, we want, we knew we had something that that's never been the problem, right? Yeah. The problem has never been, are there players to sustain a league? Are there players to um, create a um, noise in the, in the space of professional sports? You know, is there enough, are there enough people out there who want to see this talent? Of course, that's a given. I, I, yeah. It's existed. You know, it was, where do we fit in the space and how do we fit in the space and kind of, what we are experiencing now still is, you know, how do we disrupt a culture that has been systematically not for us? And so, you know, I think initially we were just like, Hey, we're going to do this, (laughs) you know, like, let's go (laughs) like how, how we always are, you know, we, we, we just like, Hey, we, we see that thing and we want it and we're going to go and get it. And so I think there was a lot of, lot of bumps in the road and a lot of lessons learned and a lot of things that I think the NWSL now has the benefit of knowing that Mm. we didn't know. And just like anything, I mean, experience should, is the best teacher. Right. And so again, the talent was always there. We had some of the, we had the best players in the world coming to the U S to play in our, in our league and it was phenomenal. And I'm happy to say that my team was the first ever champions of the WUSA. Ooh, nice. So first ever women's professional champions in the U.S. were the, <laughs> the Bay Area Cyber Rays. Um, That's a great yes. title to, yeah. to own. Yeah. That's so, awesome. I'm yeah. curious 
why you think, and I think you kind of touched on it, but why do you think this league has, the NWSL has survived again for listeners? This is the third iteration of a women's professional league in the U.S. Um, when NWSL started, I was like, well, third time's a charm, guys. Like, it's got to be, this is <laughs> we got to make this last. Mm-hmm. Uh, but why do you think this league has survived where others have failed? Well, I, I'm going to I'm going to say that the others I think we could say failed or we can say just built a foundation, right? Mm. So that's great. I like you know, that. Yeah, because again, I think the experiences that were had in the two previous um, leagues were the founding blocks for what the NWSL is. Again, you know, you you look at I look at the NBA, I look at NFL in particular, and I say they weren't successful either in the beginning. Oh, I know. That's and what so, that's what everyone forgets. Yeah. Yeah, so it's easy to look at what's happening now and say, "Boy, this is so much better than what it was." Well, it this wouldn't happen today if it was starting all over. So, I think we all we all start from these humble beginnings and we all have to learn the lessons and they were hard. They were hard lessons and again again, I think it's um to the point of what the U.S. women's national team was and what I think the U.S. women's national team today continues to be, not just for uh, a domestic um, impact, but a global impact now, um, is that we have been disruptors of cultural norms for four plus decades. You're right. And so, and some people would say that in a negative way and others would say that in a completely positive way. Um, We're noisemakers. And we do that because we, not because we're tooting our own horn, but I think because we see the value in what's available. And in my opinion, and I've said this, uh, I don't know, I can't even count how many times I've said this, and I will say it probably countless more times, which is that women's soccer and women's sport, women's soccer specifically, but I think women in sports um, as a whole um, are the greatest, deepest, richest well of talent, intellect, uh, and um, future forward thinking that we have. There, there's nothing that's more um, untapped and more ready to make a difference than women in sports. I couldn't agree with you more. And I love that. And I've never, I've never heard somebody say it in that way. And I, I love exactly how you put it. And I absolutely agree. You're coaching girls now, and it's a completely different landscape than when you grew up playing, you know, going down the street, kicking the ball against the wall by yourself. Um, What do you think or what do you see as the biggest difference in your generation of players and youth players today? Um, Well, I think, number one, you just have to the, the broad pool of players is greater. So I think, you know, with Title IX, I was born in 1968. So I'm constantly pushing on my players, Title IX, Title IX, Title IX. You need to understand where you come Mm. from. You need to understand that this wasn't always possible. So when you come to practice and you're, you're wasting your own time or maybe the time of your teammates or you're not you're not seeing the significance of the opportunity, remember when young girls did not have a chance to play. So that's not a kind of like, hey, like run in straight lines and be mechanical. It's just like, remember, like this is a precious gift that we get to do um, by to be players. And don't ever forget that. And don't take it for granted. 
And that's really important. So I think the greater population of young girls also have now resources. So Mm -hmm. when I was growing up, my dad, who never played soccer, never saw soccer, became my coach because no one would step up to say, okay, I'll, I'll be the coach or I have some experience. Nobody did. And so I basically learned soccer by the one VHS tape that was in the library and no maybe way. The, the three soccer books that were in the library. And every Sunday was a program called soccer made in Germany. And we would watch that. And so that's how we learned the basic the basics about soccer. And then we became season ticket holders for the San Jose earthquakes in the mid seventies when I was eight years old. And so seeing soccer, I think as a resource now, young girls can not, not only go on their phone, not only go to their computer, not, not only find a high school girls soccer game, a college girls women's soccer game or a professional women's soccer game, but a national team game. They, they have so many more resources um, that exist um, than, than ever before. Now, the fallacy of, of, about that, Kelly, is that that's going to make you better. The only thing that's going to make each one of these kids better is their desire and their willingness to play yeah, and, to, and to fall down flat on their damn faces and say, it's okay. Yeah. Um, because you can have, you could... As the old saying goes, you probably never heard this because you're too young. You can lead a <laughs> you can lead a horse to water, but you but can't, you make, can't him make him drink. Yeah, I'm not too old. I mean, I'm not too young. I am old. I am old. <laughs> yeah. So I th- I think resources. I think the population, the pool of players is greater. Um, the opportunities with a national team now. When I was growing up, it was one team or no yeah. team. Um, you know. These are all these are all wonderful opportunities, but they're all also semi. Um, they're also difficult, right, to navigate because again, the naivete that I came to soccer with was I love playing. I'm going to go down to. I don't have anyone to play with because nobody's as into it as I am. So I'm going down to the school and I'm going to kick the ball against the wall because that was my that was my outlet. That was my only way of doing it. My mom didn't want me to kick the ball against the garage door, so I. We had to go down to the school. Um, but now there's just, you know, it's a professional trainer and a professional coach. And these are great things. Listen, this is, I shouldn't bite the hand that feeds me. Right. But it's, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky situation because I know that the conversation now is how do we get more young people involved who don't have resources? They don't mm-hmm. have the luxury dollars that are needed to play sports like soccer in our country. So you know, that's the good and the bad, right? There are opportunities, but there aren't equal opportunities. Um, yeah. There's talent everywhere, but opportunity is not equal. So we need to somehow find a way to balance those scales so that we can even, we can have an even greater population of people that are enjoying the game, whether for fans, as a coach, as a player, you know, and so that we can continue to grow the NWSL and every other soccer outlet possible. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think equal opportunity is huge. And I think the biggest or the next biggest hurdle as an entirety of soccer in this country specifically that we need to take a step over. And then I think what you said, access to it doesn't mean success. You know, you can 
you can see all the people doing the skills on Instagram. You can go watch all the games. But as if you're not willing to work and put in the time, then you're never going to be successful. It's not just going to come, um, which I think, again, I completely agree with. And specifically with you, I read that there was no women's soccer team to play on. Like you, you're talking about, you went to the library and got a VHS and three <laughs> soccer books, which I think is maybe the best little anecdote I've gotten out of this podcast yet. And that's how you learned soccer. What made you interested in the first place in soccer? No idea. Um, really? You were just yeah. like, no, this is how it happened. It was meant to be. Yeah, this is how it happened. Um, I was b- basically a lunatic as a child. And so I yeah. would, <laughs> you know, if it, if it was, you know, climb up to the tallest tree and get on the roof and jump into the pool or do like set up two chairs and, and put a two by four uh, across it and ride my skateboard up and jump off of it and land on the other side. I, it didn't matter. Like falling down seemed to be my thing. Okay. And I was just very physical and active and I love being outside. And I think what happened was that it just that girls soccer came to my neighborhood, young girls soccer, young girls soccer. And then, um, so we signed up not knowing anything about it. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that really, that I remember that kind of struck me as a kid was unlike today, well, maybe at some levels, um, maybe at a AYSO level, um, where, you know, everybody's on the team, you, you sign up, you get on a team. Uh, you got your uniform right then you got your uniform. And so I took it home and it was like, I put it on and it was like this transformation, right? It, like I turned into something else. It was like this superpower and I didn't want to ever take it off. And so, um, it's, that's always stuck with me. And actually to, into my uh, professional and into my national team career, Unlike what happens now with the national team where, I mean, you show up and you have all your stuff there in the locker room. We, that was not the case. So we would get our stuff at the hotel and we would carry it or we would put it on, on the bus ride to the stadium. And I always waited for the moment once I entered the locker room to put on my gear, because that was the moment when the change kind of happened if people say hey are you superstitious i say no but this is what i definitely did every time so um but yeah so i think that you know that initial uh signing up and getting the jersey and then having that soccer ball for the first time it was love at first kick and that's kind of silly and cheesy but really true i i don't know why but i think it was because there was access to being on a team. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that before. And then, uh, the chance to just get as dirty and be as physical. And, and honestly, I was a terrible teammate because I just wanted the ball and I didn't really care about anybody else's feelings. And I it was like, I would probably take it away from my own teammate if <laughs> you know, so it was, it was just a chance to kind of run in, in a, wild yet semi-organized way and it just it hooked me Mm. did you only play soccer after that or did you play a ton of sports you sound like you played a ton i played anything and everything from street touch football to skateboarding to i mean honestly if tree climbing was a 
a sport, I probably would have done that at the time or I love it. like just anything. Like, honestly, yeah. I've, I've kind of been that girl who was like, I see a challenge or the ball goes onto the, I mean, this is just seriously, this is how crazy I am about just trying things. Right. Like my son is in elementary school, lower elementary. And one of the kids kicks the ball onto the roof. And I literally climb the pole. I get up onto the roof and everyone's like, what the hell? But I don't know. I just like, I, I see the challenge and I don't see an obstacle. I see an opportunity. That's always how I've looked at it. I love it. So as you grew up and you, you obviously you said soccer was love at first kick. At what point did you realize that you could play in college because you, you, you kind of touched on title nine um, and what made it, it seems like soccer was it for you from the beginning, but again, you did a bunch of different sports. So how did you end up at Cal playing soccer? Well, uh, much different than it is today where the recruiting yeah, process happened sure. very, very late. So, okay. um, number one, I didn't have, um, there was not a lot of conversation in my household about college. Neither of my parents went to college. Um, and in fact, I think because and in fact, my mom was such an incredible um, role model and mentor to me, not by not not by words so much, but by her actions. So she was um, she was of the generation where she had her dream job and she was a flight attendant. And this was like perfect for her. She was just so incredibly personable and engaging. And just, again, um, not afraid to go out there and, you know, be herself. And she, my husband, my, my dad went into the military right out of high school and they decided they were going to have a family and you couldn't be married and be a flight attendant. Mm. So she had to, she quit her job. And so to be, you know, to have a family. And so just her actions of going from being this woman who gave up a career to becoming a mother, being a teacher's aide. And as she progressed, she, she ended up without a college degree, becoming a vice president of a company in the Silicon Valley, working with the biggest tech giants before Silicon Valley was Silicon Valley. And she just walked the walk. Right. So for, for me, it was, um, we weren't talking about college, but it was just like, how do you live your life? And then when college came up, it was like, oh, we should do that. <laughs> you know, we should do yeah. that. And it was my senior year. And Cal is about an hour away from where I grew up. And so we went there and they were very interested. And my parents and my grandfather were just like, oh, my gosh, this is the greatest gift ever. And there was something about it that I really was drawn to. And then there was also a part of me that kind of knew down deep, like, it wasn't the right place, but mm. I didn't know why. Um, but I'm super grateful for having had the experience. I had a great first year as a, um, as a player and, uh, we had a really good team and that experience was great. I was, a, I did terribly in school and I just like, I, I was like wandering around, like I had found a whole new world and, it was, it was incredible. And then I tore my ACL that spring. So it was a, it was a, it was the greatest of the greats and the lowest of lows and, uh, a really great way to 
dive down into what kind of person are you going to be? I can, I can understand that. Yeah. So you, like you said, you had a great freshman year, you were an all American. Um, but then you had ACL surgeries on both of your knees. Yeah. So in the spring of my freshman year, I tore my left ACL. And as I was, I, I, I decided that I would, as I said, I got into some academic, um, issues. And so I left Cal okay. to get things in order. And as I was doing that, I realized, well, I, I redshirt my second year because, um, I wasn't going to be ready to play. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is back when MRIs didn't even exist. I mean, that's how, <laughs> I mean, so yeah, like this is the late eighties, you tear your ACL. Yeah. What made you, and I can, I, I kind of can assume the answer, even just talking to you, knowing you as a player, like what made you be like, okay, I'm going to come back from this. Cause it seems like, I mean, even today, knock on wood, ACLs are the, the worst injury, but I can't imagine what they were like back then. And you're <laughs> saying there's not even MRI. How did they even know? They were just like, like, this is not, you they used to, no, they, they used to do what, um, I, I don't know the technical name of it, but they would inject your knee with a dye mm. and then the dye would go through and, mm-hmm. th- and then they would take a picture kind of like Got an it. x-ray Got it. and then they could see where anything was interrupted by like a broken line or, and that's how they would let you know. Okay. That's how they did the, the, those were the test. That was the test. Um, but I, I think the answer to your question, honestly, is what's the alternative quit? Like that was, I mean, I loved, I loved playing. Mm-hmm. I love playing today. I wish I could play today. I, I love being on the field. Like there's nothing, there's nothing for me that fills that gap. Um, once I found this, this game in the way that I did, you know, as I progressed through it, nothing, nothing has filled that, that gap that, that was created by that. And that, that can be hard at times because when you're not right in the middle of it and you're watching it and you're like, you want it so bad. But I think that was also at the time when I was on the sideline. And I say this to any young person who has experienced the loss of something or, you know, the, the, the temporary um, loss during an injury, which is you're going to be a better person and player after this, because there's nothing that you can learn while you're healthy about what it's like to not have something and, and the journey that it takes to come back to it. Mm -hmm. And so it was terrible. I mean, honestly, who knows what would have happened in my career had I, been healthy the whole time. I don't, I mean, who knows what could have happened? I mean, it was pretty good. All the good stuff happened after all the bad stuff happened. So I think that's a great story. Yeah. You know, for as, sure. a remind, as a reminder that, you know, you, you're going to, you're going to take some lumps along the way. Absolutely. So, yeah. So I think just, it was, there was no question. It was just, you're going to get on with yourself and, and then do it. I think the second one was hard because I had decided to leave Cal and I came home and I was going to a junior college, uh, which by the way, is a fabulous option for a lot of people out there. Mm, Uh, And and not just in an academic sense, but I think in the soccer sense too, because 
you know, everybody's looking for that scholarship and um, please don't put that as the main reason why you're playing soccer. Mm. You know, that's, that's a recipe for disaster. Um, it's a great reason, but it's, yeah. Yeah, it's not, it shouldn't be your only reason. Yeah. Um, and so right as, um, I was kind of starting to get healthy and back into like, okay, what's my next move going to be? And I decided that I'd be going to Santa Clara a week later. I tore my other ACL playing, playing. Oh yeah. my God. So you had come back. Yeah. 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 So I was playing again and, uh, <laughs> I, I hate talking about ACLs. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, honestly, it, I, it, it was predestined, honestly, mm. uh, it was predestined. And, um, so the only thing to do is when you look at a problem is to say, what are define the solutions? Yeah. It's not, why is there a problem? You know, maybe you could look at it and say, okay, you know, maybe I need more sleep. Maybe I need more, but it's not like you're going to change yet where you are. So, yeah. um, so the second one was a little bit harder in terms of like, just like, okay, you go through the, why me, why is this happening again? And then you get on with it and you're yeah. like, okay, you know, enough, enough time spent on that. Just moving forward. For sure. And at this point, when, when these injuries occurred, was the national team on your radar? So, you know, so like I said, there was no youth national teams, but there was youth national team camp. So I had gone to that as a young person before I went to college. And so I was kind of in this collective amoeba of people. Right. So it was kind of like, it wasn't uh, something that was really like defined and here's what you do and here's what's going to happen. But I was kind of in this group group of young players. But you had had a, you had had a taste of the national team, you know, what, wearing the crest, that sort of thing. Uh, was it, was there even a no. cross back then? Like, what no, was no, it? no, no, it was a logo. Okay. <laughs> I think that's what we called it. Okay. <laughs> no, um, no. Um, it was kind of like what you experienced probably playing in ODP and mm. then playing, um, we had something called the Olympic sports festival. Okay. That was, um, a coming together of all four regions in a, um, a mimic of, an Olympic game. So all the sports were there and women's soccer was a part of it. And it was mostly adult, like post end of college, college, um, athletes, but I got invited to that. So that was really, that was in the, in when I was in still in high school. So that was really, yeah, that was really the first time we went to, um, the first one I think was at LSU. And then the second one was, they were always in really hot, sticky places. Like, like San Antonio uh, and LSU. So sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So you, like, you knew you were good and then you, (laughs) or at least, you you know, you had an, a sense of what you, your potential and you go through these two injuries, like you said, in between the two of them, you had decided to transfer to Santa Clara. Mm -hmm. Um, you recover, come back from your second one and, you end up going to back-to-back Final Fours, Final Four yeah. appearances for the That's first right. time in program history in, right. in 1990. And in 1990, you led the nation in scoring and won the Honda Sports Award as Player of the Year. Yeah. So talk about two ACL recoveries mm-hmm. in the late 80s, early 90s, and then going on to do that to end your college career. Like, that's just that. I mean, talk about 
from the bottom of the valley to the top of the mountain? Uh, uh, you know, my, like I said, my dad was my first coach and he didn't know anything about soccer. He was a Marine. So what I, what I learned about Marines were, is they were, they have a, a, a few things that are essential to their being, right? Which is one, um, your love of your family, your team, right? You'll do, you're going to do anything for your team and um, that you have to be dedicated to the process and you don't question what's the process. You're just, you're going to go through the process. And we were very, you know, learning kind of that process and that team love and my dad, I just, I just had incredibly wonderful memories from my youth soccer career, mm. um, which is, I shouldn't say career because it wasn't really a career. <laughs> it was I mean, just, it was part of the career. Well, yeah. but I mean, like it was, it, it, it was, was a just, chapter. It, it was, was chapter. just fun. It was just, yeah. it was my happy place. It was like, you know, I played softball. I ran track. I played volleyball, basketball. Like I said, flag football. Like I honestly, I played all of the sports. Um, you know, my grandfather wanted me to be a golfer and my mother wanted me to be a tennis player and neither one of those were dirty or physical enough for me, which now I'm like, damn, I could have, should have been one of those you things, should have, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but it worked out. It worked out, but I, I really love all those, but, um, but honestly, you know, just having to decide to only play soccer was very difficult for me mm. because somebody brought it to my attention when I was a junior in high school, like at the end of my junior year, like, well, what are you going to play in college? And I honestly had no idea what they were oh. talking, what they were talking about. I was like, like I play, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, I play soccer and I play softball in high school. I play them both. And they're like, well, you're going to have to choose. I was like, I have no idea why I would ever do that. Uh, I wanted to, do both of them. And I honestly believe that because I played all those sports, Kelly, that I was a better well-rounded soccer player. Absolutely. Than if I was, had just played soccer. And I see that in my young players because mm. they, they are fabulous <laughs> and really not good in a lot of areas because they just had the same kind of repetitive stuff. And so they don't get out of there, like, you know, balls in the air they don't know how to catch things and they don't know how to their spatial awareness and how fast <laughs> and slow like oh my gosh like so i would say to everybody listening to this podcast please 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 you know specificity is good when it's the appropriate time mm. but i think when we talk about cross training and we talk about balanced life it's so important but yeah. anyway but anyway, back to your, your, <laughs> sorry, I hijacked you for a minute there. No, you're fine. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. This is, this is incredible. And like the, it's, I, I love hearing you say these things because I, they, they resonate with me very much so. Um, and I think that they need to be said and I think people need to hear them for you when you, when you got, you know, you go from two ACL surgeries, recoveries, and then you're basically at the top of women's soccer in the college world to mm -hmm. end your college career. What was that like? And at that point, what was your 
relationship or like interaction with the national team were you getting called in because you had your yeah. first cap in 1988 right yeah so Again, so because I came through this youth pool system, um, I, I was in that kind of group of, of players. And because I did have a really fortunate college experience, even amongst the dis, you know, the unfortunate circumstances with being injured, um, you know, I, I was in the pack of, of players. And so I, I did have a few games with the national team before getting hurt. And just, I don't know. I think I bulldozed my way <laughs> into just being a part of it. Right. And, um, you know, I was relentless. I was, re I felt like I was a relentless, um, player and not to, not to say that it was just about being physical because I, I, I don't want to diminish that there is obviously a physical, um, investment you have to make. Um, but I don't think that the outcomes, um, that you get from, from the physical investment are just physical outcomes there, yeah. you know, you have to work on the small things. And so for me, that's what I really, really, really loved about, and still to this day, love about the game. Like, you know, the fun little moment when you, you've set the, the opponent up just so perfectly and they have no idea. And now all of a sudden you just take advantage of them. And you're just like, I, I just did that to you and <laughs> you, you did. And now I'm doing it again. Or like, you know, you're just like, you know, like the look you can give a player from across the field. And you're like, I got you. Like mm -hmm. we're on the same page, like those things, like they give me chills just talking about, about them because that's like the, to me, the beauty of sport is, yeah. are, are those, those small moments, but getting on that. So in, in, anyway, I just feel like I had a, a good combination of a physical commitment yet. It was still not my strong suit. And uh, I can tell you about that in a second. And my love of the small details, because I was two footed, I, 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 I could use any part of my body. Like I was super comfortable with the ball because I literally only could play against a wall. So for me, it was like every touch mattered and every pass counted and how it was done with what weight and what pace and at what space and at what time, like that's, that's the, that's the secret sauce in my opinion. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah. And, but I think initially in my early career with the national team, I mean, I think the greatest knock on me was that I wasn't more willing to invest in the physical fitness. Interesting. Cause I was, I mean, I'm going to say like, I was good at soccer. Yeah. And you were like, I, I can carry this. My skill can carry myself. Yeah. I can carry do me. Yeah. And I don't I need do to, I don't need to commit and invest, like you said, in the physical side. Yeah. And I, it wasn't what, that I was, yes, correct. Um, but I, it was, I felt it was like an overemphasis on something that I was like, well, okay. Like that, that's like, I mean, honestly, I had a really big problem with that when I was growing up and it was a mental hurdle for me mm. when I was coming into college, um, and then when I had my first knee injury and coming back from those two knee injuries, it was like, that stuff is for the other players. This is what I do. Mm, and it was really, honestly, it was awesome for me to get knocked down because I didn't value that work as much as I should have. And so it, it comes full circle. It's good. 
Yeah, but hearing you say this is very surprising to me because to me, Brandy Chastain is the ripped, like <laughs> celebrating in her sports bra, being like, how will I ever be that strong? Like that, yeah, exactly. It's incredible. <laughs> so good. So to hear you say this, so it's clearly, clearly this was something that you knew you had to work on and you did work yeah. on because we all we all know yeah. what you looked but, like in 99 <laughs> but not initially but not initially kelly yeah, and this is but it again, takes time and this is but this is also another you know lesson reminder to myself and just word of warning to young players not a word of warning but like a it's real meaning you're going to be afraid and for me, I was, I honestly, the anticipation and the perception of what reality was, if I push myself to that, to that moment where I was so uncomfortable that I wasn't sure what was going to happen on the other side, it was so heavy for me that I couldn't get past it. Interesting. I could not get past it. And I was ashamed of quitting, but I honestly didn't know how to get past it. And it took a long time. And what what actually ended up happening was that at Santa Clara in my, yeah, it was in my first year kind of into the season um, when I just wasn't working hard enough in that area. Uh, and my mindset was it's for the other people to do that. Um, my husband, Jerry, uh, was, was the coach at, at Santa Clara. And he said, well, um, we don't really need you here. And I was like, uh, well, I don't need you. And <laughs> great response. So, yeah. <laughs> Touche. And so then he said, that's fine. And I walked away. And so for two days, I didn't go out to soccer. And then I, obviously I had an epiphany of you're an idiot. And this is the greatest gift that you've been given. And your, your parents could not afford to send you to college. So what are you doing? Um, and so I had a real come to Jesus moment really. And I, and I came back to the soccer office with my tail between my legs. And I said, you know, I've made a mistake and, um, I would love, I, I would appreciate a second opportunity and without hesitation, it was okay, no problem. And we ran all day long. Like it was, it was beyond what we had ever done, but, but I had sworn. And I think this is the competitor in me and everybody out there has this person inside of them. It just, the, it's like the switch needs to be flipped. Mm. Um, the button has to be pushed. We have to be so uncomfortable that what's the alternative is not you know, the alternative is not good. And my button got pushed and it was, I'm going to show you that I can do this. Honestly, I should have just said like, Brandy, you can do this for yourself, do this. But, but, see, I, but I feel like, I feel like when you have those type of moments, it's, it's usually an external source that, that gets you past that first biggest hurdle of your career or, you know, your biggest setback or your, your biggest weakness. Yeah. Don't you think? I feel like, because yeah. I do, I completely agree with you. We all should be able to internally say like, I want this, I should do this. 
and be motivated by that, which you probably are now, but you, you had to have that external source and that well, is what I, I, allowed you yeah. later on to have that internal one. Yeah, I think I was to a certain degree, right? I had that motivation or that inspiration yeah. and that push to a certain point, but it was that small gray area that was the unknown that I was like, eh, I'm pretty good right here. I'm pretty yeah, good. I don't want right, to dabble up there. Right here, I'm good. And when I got pushed and I felt like I was tipping over the edge, I was like, oh no, I'm not going there. And then- all of a sudden that opportunity was taken away. And I was like, ah, maybe it's not so bad up there. And were so- you, Were you scared of the pain? I, I, I was scared of not knowing, mm. you know, because you don't know. You don't know how you're gonna feel. You don't know how long it's gonna last. You don't know <laughs> um, the, the severity of um, the intensity. Mm. And so- yeah. I think it's the unknown that really was, I, I felt in control most of the time otherwise. And so it was the losing the control. It was the lack of understanding. It was the lack of um, maybe even having been pushed before. And so when I came back, I was so determined and I didn't see the back of anyone's shirt. I just ran like it was going to be the last time. And, I love that. And, and at the end of the day, I was like, it wasn't so bad. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah no, it's, it's, it's true. Cause it's worth it. Cause it gets you to where you have to go. Yeah. Um, okay. 1991, you make it yeah. world cup team, <laughs> by the way, do you remember the official name of the 1999 world cup? I'm doing air. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. The M and M's cup. The Good M&M's job. Yeah, it was actually, it was the first FIFA world championship for women's football for the M&M's cup. Yeah. It's a very short name. Um, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. FIFA didn't want to really put world cup on it because I think it, they felt that maybe it would diminish the, the, the name world cup. I so know. they had to give it a try first. It's incredible. I, I feel like I've heard this before. And when I was reading, I was like, I think that I remember the M&M's part of it, but <laughs> The fact that FIFA didn't want it, they, it was, first of all, the first Women's World Cup, and they didn't want to just brand it as Women's yeah. World Cup. Yeah. Yeah, that was, um, that was something, <laughs> amongst other things that FIFA has done. However, yeah. again, the, the paradigm is shifting and the, and the landscape is changing. And to be honest with you, Joy Fawcett was incredibly happy because she loved M&M. So this was yeah, basically did, she she lived on diet coke, M&Ms and chicken nuggets. So it was like for her. It was, it was in it was in China? Yeah. Yeah, so you, yeah. Yeah. Guangzhou, China. So you yeah. you just had unlimited um, unlimited M&Ms. Yeah. Um That's fantastic. But you guys win. Yeah. So what what was that feeling like winning the M&Ms World Cup? <laughs> oh, I mean, it was spectacular. It was okay. spectacular. Um Really, it was like us, our team, our parents. Yeah. It's a picture of all the parents in the stands. Oh, that's amazing. So they were, they came over. Yeah. It was so, a good, good group. Yeah. It was an awesome group. Um, and so it was us, us, our parents, and like maybe 10 people at home that knew that we were, what we were doing. And uh, we won this, this awesome tournament. And I think it was, 
you know, I'd love to say that I was, I had the vision that this would turn into what it's turned into today. But Mm -hmm. I think because the, just the official, um, even the officials of FIFA didn't really embrace it so much. It was like, it was just another big tournament that we did. Yeah. And, but it was spectacular. And the competitors uh, in of China and Sweden and Norway and Brazil, I mean, playing Norway became like, like the, the best, rivalry. the rivalry and China, the best rivalry. And that, that was, that's kind of, I think what made um, playing on the national team so fun is that you have these opportunities to play these games that you just don't know how they're going to go. And you fight like hell to, to win each game. For sure. Um, I still can't get over the fact that it was called the M&M's cup, but uh, <laughs> in 1995, so it's the next one mm-hmm. they have, I think officially called it. They're, they're calling it the, the women's world cup at this point. You don't make the team, right? What went into yeah. that? <laughs> I can hear it in your voice. Yeah. Um, well, you the way you say it I, there is the reason for the, the response, because it's not like I had an opportunity. You so didn't. no. Oh, so, so yeah. T- tell me what was up. So right after 91, there was a few players who were retiring. Karen Jennings, uh, Karen Gabera now. She's now been the head women's coach at uh, the Naval Academy for what she thought was going to be one year, which has turned into a lifetime career, which is amazing. Great. Um, yeah, it's incredible. Shannon, um, Shannon, uh, oh my gosh, Higgins was her maiden name. Now Shannon Sarofsky. She also has been coaching um, collegially for a long time. Um, Lori Henry and some other players were retiring and somehow I kind of got into that group and was just not asked to come back. And, and yeah. And, and so I, for a long time, I kind of, and long time, I don't know how long that is. Like that could, it felt like years, but it could have been months before I kind of reached out to say, Hey, hello. Like I'm still playing. I want to be there, but there was just no response. There was no, wow. meet, there was no meeting. There was no reasoning. There was no nothing. Did like something get lost in the mail because they, they <laughs> did somebody think you had retired? Like, what was it? That's wild to me. Uh, no idea. Honestly. Um, you know, I, Anson Dorrance was the coach at the time. And, yeah. you know, as we all know, he's has such a, a historic, um, career as the women's head coach at the university of North Carolina. And he was the national team coach for, you know, so many years. And, um, you know, he and I, I, we just had this kind of like wonderful, um, friction relationship. Like, I you know, love, I, I love how you just said that wonderful yeah. friction. Relationship. Well, I mean, it, it was because, you know, I honestly, again, like, I think, you know, when I, what I found is after learning about, you know, going through all these hardships is like when things are easy, it doesn't mean it's good. Mm. It doesn't mean it's good. It just means it's easy. That's, um, so, that's such a great, that's, that's such a great thing you just said. Sorry. Continue. Yeah, no, no. It's just so good. No, um, it's so true. And, yeah. And, and so, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't his favorite player. 
And I had not decided to go. To, I had decided, excuse me, I had decided not to go to North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And I chose, and I, you know, I went out there and everything. And I just, it was, I was a California kid and, and I don't, who knows what the reasons were um, that I didn't get called back. Don't know. So after a while I wrote him this letter and I was so mad and I was like, duh, I was so mad at him. And I wrote a letter and I, I was very blunt and he came back to me and he was like, this is one of the greatest letters I've ever received because you didn't pull any punches. And, um, I appreciate that. And that didn't get me back on the team, but <laughs> I was about to say, is that how you got back on? <laughs> no, it wasn't. Um, but, but he and I actually came to this wonderful place where, you know, you where two people who, who maybe, you know, diametrically are opposed to each to however they're looking at things can actually come together with respect and mm. resolve and say, okay, uh, I appreciate that you had to make a, um, a decision and that was your decision. Uh, I, I, I didn't like it, but I can understand it. Mm. Um, and so um, when Tony then took over, Tony DeChico took over right before 1995 World okay. Cup, I felt like that was a chance for me maybe to get back into the swing of things. And I was then working full-time at Santa Clara as an assistant coach. And one of our players, Jennifer Lawler was on the national team. And so it was hard. That was very hard. I was training with Jen and she would go off to a training camp and I would not get called in. And Jerry was in a very precarious position because he was coaching Jen and And I was, had been a former player and now I was working with him and I was angry every day. And he was like, Oh my God, like I can only imagine. Yeah. It was, it wasn't, it was not one of the best of times, but again, it was to the, to kind of the storyline, which is like, okay, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about it? You don't like what's happening. Don't keep doing the same thing because it's not going to get you somewhere. So, so I decided to go and play in Japan. Mm. And it was the beginning of when they had their, their professional league and we didn't have anything here. This was in 93. And so Anson was like, why the hell are you going there? And I was like, I'm not playing for you. So why the hell are you, what does it matter to you? Like, I mean, leave me alone. Yeah. He was like, unless you want to call me back in. (laughs) Yeah. But no, it was a good, it was a good reminder. Like, why are you going there? And for Mm. me, the answer was I wanted to play. And it was the first opportunity to play and get paid. Mm. And I was like, this is going to be a, a awesome life experience. And so I went and I called Tony and I said, Hey, listen, I still want to play. I'm playing, you know, I've been playing in Japan. And he's like, well, I'm happy with the team I have and, you know, knock on wood that nothing happens, but if something does, you know, I'll give you a call. And that call never came. And And that was hard. That was very hard. And yet I think again, you know, our stories aren't told by other people. Our stories are only told by ourselves and we can make them what we want them to be. doesn't mean that it's going to be perfect um, or maybe the way we planned it. But um, I just kept believing and kept pushing uh, in that direction. And when the team lost um, in the semifinal, to Norway, which 
Julie Foudy would probably call one of the most devastating losses of her career and something that I think she uses as a reminder of this will never happen again kind of mentality. Um, that was the next door open for me because the world, the Olympics that you didn't get to go to because your parents didn't obviously <laughs> think it was important. Um, <laughs> we, we, for all the listeners out there, we talked about this before uh, we started recording. Uh, I didn't, I being growing up in Atlanta, 96 Olympics, didn't go to one dang thing. Thank you, mom and dad. Um, <laughs> but yeah, okay, so you, so you end up, they, they lose in the semis, you is that your entry back into the team because you end up going to the olympics and you you played every minute of the tournament yeah so i actually so this was a very interesting time this is foreshadowing kelly to what actually happened this year so history does repeat itself what you hope is that it repeats itself in a better version right okay in a a learned version so um the u.s women's national team was in a contract negotiation with u.s soccer after 95. And I think because we didn't win the world cup, us soccer wanted to give us less than what we had before. And Julie Foudy, Carla Overbeck, they were like, hell no, that's not how this works. Like progress is being made. Like we, you know, this is for real now. This is like not make believe this is not like, Hey, $10 per diem is going to make it. This is not, that's not how this is going to go. And so um, they decided that team decided that they were not going to go to the Olympics. Oh, I remember. Okay. I know they were not going to the Olympics. And right as that was happening, Tony, basically what they said is they gathered, not just the full first team Mm -hmm. and, and the bubble players, but then the next pool of players. And we said, listen, collectively, we need to stand together. If we want things to be better, we must say no until it is better, right? And we're gonna, we are going to give up the first ever, first ever Olympics. Yeah, and it's incredible. in our own country. It's in also our own incredible. country. Yeah. It's the, and it's the hundredth year. It's the centennial games. Like this yes. is like all these monumental things, right? And so everybody was like, yes, yes, yes. This is what we'll do. And then Tony called me. Oh no. And he said, hey, you know, we talked about the world cup and, and he said, I want to make some changes. I want you to come into camp. And my heart is like exploding out of my chest and I'm so excited. And I said, well, I'm going to have to, I'll let you know. Okay. So I hung up the phone and I immediately called Julie and I said, I got a problem <laughs> because I want, I, I want to be on the national team, but I am 100% in solidarity with what's happening Um, because I believe that we deserve better and women's soccer has a really important place in us soccer. I I wasn't, we weren't thinking in this global thing. We were thinking in us soccer, women's soccer has a very important place. We not only were we world champions, we had just, you know, came in third place in the world cup. We have not experienced that kind of success at us soccer before. And so Julie said, uh, no, you're going to camp. Oh, and you are going to get on this team because we need you. And I was like, no, 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 I'm with you. She goes, nope, you got to go. And that was really one of the first times where I saw leadership in action in a very selfless, very um, altruistic way, where it wasn't about how did that impact me, but how can it impact the greater 
good. And, and I said, okay. And I made a promise. I said, I will, I will be the best player I've ever been. And I will make this team. Um, I, I will, I, I'll do everything possible. And so that's when, um, after the, the two camps we had, Tony called me into his office and said, Hey, we want you on the team. And I mean, Kelly, I, I don't know about when you made the first time, you know, when you made it to the national team for the first time, what it felt like for you, but having been there and not been there and then come back, like it was just like exponentially out of this world. Yeah. Um, exciting. And then he said, but you're not going to play as a forward, which I had only played. Yeah. He said, um, we're going to put you as a defender. And it was like, it was like, what jaw drop like everything like i'm sure all the air was sucked out of the room but in that moment was um an opportunity are are you more prideful about who you think you are and what you can do or do you want to be on the team and do you want to contribute and for me being on i knew what not being on the team was like and so i wanted to be on the team and so I said, yes. And I, as you said, I played every minute of the Olympic games in a position I'd never played before. And so that was, um, and it turned out, you know, I didn't get to score as many goals as I probably would have liked. Yeah. Uh, truth be told, truth be told, I love scoring goals, but you know, not having to play with your back to pressure, being able to see the whole field. I learned that my skill set, and this is kind of a lesson that I learned that's off the field and on the field is that the skill set I had in my toolbox actually applied to the position I was going in. So for all those people out there who think they don't know something or they're getting hired to do something that maybe they don't have a lot of experience in, pull out your tools because yeah. those tools will apply. And so I saw everything coming at me as the forward I was. And I'm like, oh, I see this already. I got this. I completely i know exactly what you're talking about yeah tony, tony DeChico loves to uh to change a forward to an outside yeah. back although she, yeah. he didn't do that for me but i think he suggested it and that's what got me into that same same predicament as you and i looked <laughs> at it the exact same way yeah of like i want to be on this team you <laughs> yeah. want me to play outside back okay i'll play outside back um in that 96 olympics so how did it resolve um with the CBA and, and did everyone get to come back in and participate? Yes. So, uh, we finally got it all sorted out, right. I think at the end of 95 and the whole team was together for the first trip we made to Brazil. First ever trip. We went to Brazil with the national team, um, in January and, uh, and then, you know, everything just, you know, that was a magical year. It, it was, being in the Olympics was different than being in the uh, first world championship for women's soccer of the M&M's Cup. Sponsored by Candy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, so it was it was monumental. Uh, yeah. I think it was, again, I think it was foreshadowing to the type of resiliency and the type of behavior that would need to be present to endure um, in this environment where women's sports collectively, um, were not at the top of the mountain. Um, and they weren't regarded as, 
when I say important, they were important, critically important to us, but not in the landscape or the fabric of, of sports culture. Mm-hmm. And by, by winning 96, all of a sudden you got validity in a space that um, most Americans would say is kind of like the holy grail of all athletics, right? You go to the Olympics. Absolutely. And now you're amongst the world's best and we love our Olympic games. And so I think that really gave us a shot in the arm that, you know, we are important and that we have a voice Yeah, and that led to 99. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I also think that just what you guys had to do collectively to stand up to us soccer, like you said, it's foreshadowing. It had, it, it has happened so many times since then. Oh no, no. It happened many times. And, 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 but, but that was the first time and kind of going back to you talking about the league and how, you know, that the first one laid the foundation, the second one laid the foundation, the third one is surviving and, you know, hopefully will thrive. You have to have, like, if you guys hadn't have done that, I don't know if we would be where we are today, which seems, you know, there's, there's so much time has gone on, but still the fact that you guys as a group understood your collective power and, and what you could achieve if you stuck together. Um, I've seen it happen many times with the national team. And that is when we are our strongest, when we are together. Um, so I just think it's interesting hearing that story about the calls going out, being like, you can't go into camp, that sort of thing. And people being willing to, to do that, yeah. to, to sacrifice mm-hmm. and not think about themselves, but think about the greater good, not just the team. And again, you might not have been thinking about global landscape, but today it's something that we, we definitely think about. Um, 99. Yes. Going into 99. <laughs> like, I mean, I've heard, I've heard so many stories about 99, but how were you, how did you feel? Like, what were your thoughts? What, what just, oh. what was that like? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's it. Right. Uh, yeah. It was a lot of that. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think it was a lot of, there's a character um, in like, I think it's Batman called a character called Two-Face. Okay. Um, and so I think there was a lot of Two-Face going on, which is to say that on one side, we were telling everybody, we're having the World Cup. We're having the World Cup. It's going to be in these giant stadiums. It's going to be amazing. We're going to do this thing. It's going to be incredible. And then we go over here and go, holy crap, are we going to do this? <laughs> like, you know, like we're, we were you know, we were like the, um, back in the old days, it's like, you know, we're, we're the snake oil. We're like mm. selling these potions and we're like hoping that they magic were. happens. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're hoping that magic happened. And we, we could say those things because we did believe it Yeah, and we were working towards it, but nothing had compared even closely. I mean, 95 Sweden hosted a beautiful world cup but it was in small stadiums, like five to 10,000 seats and in one little area. And so it was like, awesome. That's yeah. not, not diminishing the fact that, you know, what that was, but as we know the 99 world cup to think about filling 40, 50, 75, 80 and 90,000 90, seat stadiums, yeah. like, who who's been drinking? Like, are you (laughs) kidding? Like, that's insane. So 
we were, we were shaking hands. We were doing clinics. We were, you know, hugging babies. We were doing everything necessary. I mean, literally us soccer was like trading on us, um, for practice spaces. And, you know, we were playing boy, uh, college men's teams. And we were like, we were doing everything necessary and, and unlikely, (laughs) you know, things that hadn't been done before, but this hadn't been done before. So everything was just a free for all of what's going to happen. And luckily we had great leadership in Donna De Verona and Marla Messing. And, you know, the team was incredible. Mia, you know, at this time was like the face of, of us soccer, women's soccer and us soccer really. And she just, she carried so much burden. Mm. Um, and she was a perfect example of humility and grace. And I'm sure at times just scared to death because all of a sudden you have all this attention and you don't know how it's going to go. You don't know. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was great. I mean, great and scary and holy crap. Amazing. I I can imagine, um, going into the final (laughs) one, how were you feeling? And then two, when PKs came up, did you think you were going to be in the first five? Because, which I didn't know this, you had missed a PK earlier in the year, I think against China. That's right. In the Algarve Cup, which used to be a turn. I think it still goes on uh, a tournament that national team would go to every year um, earlier in the year. So what what were those two things like? Well, I think leading, I mean, leading up to the final, the fact that I think playing in the quarterfinal is the scariest game because if you don't win the quarterfinal, you go home and you have nothing to show for it, right? You you get knocked out in that round and it's like, holy crap. And I tell it in this way, it's like for us, the future of women's soccer was at stake. Like it was doom. It was like heavy cloud. All of the media for the most part were like, you have to win the world cup or it's for not, nobody will remember. Nobody will care the next day. They'll be on to whatever season it is of, you know, it's baseball or it's whatever, you know? Yeah. And so there was this like, and we would, we had been working on the social, the psychology of preparing for a world championship. We had worked with Colleen Hacker leading up to through the Olympics. And so we had some practice in that, but boy, this was a real test. And I think um, the ability to be in the moment was so critical and to not um, look at this game any differently. Mm. It was was one game. It was one one game. You're going to play one game and it didn't start out well for me because I scored an own goal. So that was bad. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much great. Pretty I much. Could, oh my God. Again, knock on wood. Worst yeah. nightmare. And so, you know, luckily I scored another goal in that game. You so did. incredible. I, I scored two goals. Incredible. <laughs> I mean, not many players get to score two goals. Exactly. In on themselves and the other team. Yeah. And so, you know, it didn't, it didn't start out well, but we got through the hardest game. And so I think um, then winning on the 4th of July, we played on the 4th of July up here and at Stanford. Mm. And that was just a phenomenal day. Obviously my, you know, for me personally, growing up, not too far away from there, um, 
that was remarkable, but it was just, you know, it's one game at a time, one moment at a time. And so to your question about, you know, what were you thinking about that day? <laughs> we, when, when the bus pulled up, Kelly, I don't know if you know this, but when the bus pulled up, another game was happening. They don't do this anymore. Mm. So back in the day, the third, fourth place game played before the final. So that was going, it was tied. So it would be going into penalty kicks. And so we didn't get to warm up on the field. Oh yeah. I didn't know this. Yeah. So we literally, the Rose bowl now has changed. They've, they've made the locker rooms bigger and things are, are not quite as old as they used to be kind of in the underbelly of stadiums. They're not as fancy as the exterior part. Right. And so we literally ran in circles. We turned the music up. We ran up and down the, um, where the bus came down into the tunnel. And it was like, I'll never forget it. The dank, musty, mildewy smell of the tunnel of the Rose Bowl, but it, it couldn't have been any better. Like, honestly, yeah. I think this is, this to me is our crowning moment because everybody thinks from the outside, when you see you, a, a championship, you think, oh, it's so easy. It looks so easy, but it was it wasn't easy, of course, because all those teams were incredibly good. But even just in that day, mm-hmm. you know, you have to, okay, it's not, it's not the way we hold on. It's not the way we thought it was going to be. So what do we do? You get on with it. You, you do what you can do. And because of that, I think our team was incredibly resilient yeah. and incredibly agile and flexible. And we didn't let these small little things that could unhinge other groups. It, it was like done moving on. So I think that was our superpower. Mm, I agree. Because to play China, they were good. They were very good. Yeah. They were so good. And I say that was a game of two teams that bent, but never broke because no one gave up a goal in that game. Mm -hmm. And and it was literally the best and the hardest and the most um, psychological battle, I think, to that point we had ever, ever played. And it was awesome. And so when it ended after 120 minutes of a, in the 115 degree heat, yeah. um, which, by the way, I, I meet so many people, even to this day, that's like, I was at that game. I'm like, awesome. Like after I asked them all the questions of where were you sitting and what did you think and who were you with? And you know, all those things. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I heard that they ran out of water. They go, yeah, it was so hot. I'm like, yeah, I didn't get water either. <laughs> exactly. I didn't exactly. get water either. They're like, oh my God, it was so hot. I'm like, I know it, it was hot for me too. <laughs> I feel your pain. Yeah. Yeah. I feel your pain. Um, so um, to your, to the second question about the penalty kicks is I thought I would take one because mm. in the run of play, if there had been a penalty kick awarded myself and Michelle were the designated kickers. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. And so Michelle, Brianna Scurry knocked Michelle out of the game, um, uh, with a swift punch and, um, on a, on a cross. And so I assumed I shouldn't have, but I assumed that I would take one. And so when Lauren Gray came up to me, she said, Hey, um, do you want to take a kick? I kind of was taken aback. And I said, yeah, I did. Uh, sure. Of course. She's like, okay. So she, you know, she's taking notes and, 
And then Tony comes over and he says, um, okay, so you're going to take a kick. I said, yeah, I, I talked to Lauren. He goes, okay, great. Um, you're going to take it with your left foot. And then he like ran away, away like the road runner dust and just sprinted. And I was like, and I didn't really spend too much time thinking about it. Okay. Um, but now that I get to think about it and I have thought about it now for 20 something years, <laughs> um, I I've never taken a penalty with my left foot in a game. This That's is the incredible. world cup final. Yeah. And again, I think, again, I, I try to relate all these moments to what's the, what's the lesson. Mm. And for me, the lesson that I extract from that moment was, you know, number one, Tony brought me back to the national team. Um, I had to work hard to get there and he brought me back and he believed and saw something in me and he put me in a position I'd never been in before. And he believed that I, I would be successful in that position. And he helped me and the team helped me be successful in that moment. And when he asked me to do something that I'd never done before, I had to trust him because he had already shown that he was trustworthy Mm -hmm. and that he he saw something in me maybe that I didn't see. And that, um, because of that, I should feel elevated. And uh, I think that goes to now the type of tough coach that I am today. I, you know, Tony was very, um, player oriented. He, you know, when he, when he brought me back to the team and when he engaged in the team, it was always like, you know, I value you but I'm going to challenge you. I'm not always going to agree with you, but I want the best for you. And so, um, you know, I just, I just let the little kid in me take over. Like, what would you do on a Sunday afternoon when you're playing with your friends, you're going to freaking put, put it right past them. And then you're going to, yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. That's what you're going to do. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. Well, we all know what happens next and that's (laughs) you score the final penalty kick and the u.s has won the world cup on u.s soil in front of maybe the biggest crowd that's ever i the biggest crowd that's that that i'd ever watched women's soccer um at that point and rip your shirt off rip the jersey off celebrate in my opinion one of the most iconic images in sports ever um Can you even, do you even remember that moment? Like, did you black out? You know, what, what was that? Yeah. I, it was very fast. Number one, it happened yeah. so fast. Like, it did. If you watch so it in fast. real time, it is so interesting. Yeah. Cause it does happen so fast. So it's fast. So good. So yeah. Good. Um, you know, I I've been asked this question so many times yeah, I'm and, sure. and, and it's, it's a great question because every time I get to reflect on it I feel like with the time now away from it I get it gets deeper right it gets like more contemplative and it gets um slightly more understood um but it's also from different lenses for me right so Mm -hmm. now now I'm a I'm a parent but I'm also a grandparent and I see my little granddaughters and I have I just got a video yesterday of my granddaughter in the backyard two dribbles and a shot goal she says right And I'm thinking that's what it was. It was honestly this moment of, I I mean, (laughs) it's like, I got tingling all over. Like it, it's, it's the moment that you conjure up when you're a little kid and you're playing on the playground 
and you're counting down and whether it's a basket you shoot or the last goal or the touchdown or the home run and you're trotting the bases, it's just that pure joy. Mm. And there's, there's, yeah, there's like, you no can't, ex- you it. can't explain it. Like, it's like, I, I, I would say it's every single emotion, every single moment, every single hour, minute, second, uh, every person, whoever, I, whoever I crossed paths with, whether it was on the field or off the field that showed some kind of compassion or, or uh, involvement or investment in my, in me, um, all that was like, one big gratitude to, you know, owed to all of those people and to having that moment. Um, And some people will say, well, oh, maybe you saw it from men's soccer and perhaps maybe subconsciously it was there. Like, this is what soccer players do because Mm -hmm. I I never saw myself different than my male counterparts. Luckily that was never the case for me. Like I didn't, I I didn't have to feel that. Um, But Honestly, it was just like, I've always loved sports. I've always loved um, being in that moment and scoring and winning and being challenged. And that's the joy that it should elicit. Yeah. And it was just untamable at that moment. (laughs) Yeah, no, I know. And again, like that image to me is when I was a kid and I saw that, I was like, oh my God, that is what the top elite, that is what the mountaintop looks like. You know, like mm-hmm. in, in the emotion, in the, in, in your physical form, like everything about it, I was just like, damn, that's like, will I ever, could I ever do that? Could it, could that ever, you know, could I ever look like that? Could I ever feel those emotions, you know? And it's mm-hmm. just, to me, it's just so crazy again, that I'm sitting here talking to you about it. I wish that I could go back in time and tell my 12 year old (laughs) self I'm or 11 year old self I'm getting to do this, but, um, yeah, again, one of my most favorite sports pictures in, in the history of sports, I've taken up a lot of your time. I would take up like two more hours if I could, but, um, a couple questions in closing. Our sponsors at WIS know that mentorship is key to building a more inclusive and positive some world, and that a great coach or mentor can make all the difference in somebody's career. Who has been the biggest influence in your life? Well, I already said my dad, so that's already known. Uh, I would say Jerry Smith, my husband now at Santa Clara, because he approached coaching women's soccer in in a very, um, in, in a very uh, detail-oriented, specific way that had never been presented to me. I don't know how I learned soccer, Kelly, honestly, because I didn't really have anybody. I watched it, right? And now all of a sudden I had somebody presenting me these moments with such great detail that all of a sudden I was like, oh, oh my gosh, like there's layers to this thing. Yeah. So I, I have to give a tremendous amount of... Um, of props out to my husband and I watch him coach his Santa Clara university women's teams. And I watch these players evolve over four to five years. And I see them just like, just grow their, their game physically, but, but in their intellectually, you know, I think it was the intellectual side of soccer that he knows so well that Mm. 
was just not valued and was never presented to me. So in that way, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, you know, and even in the coaches that maybe I didn't get along with like the Ansons or, um, you know, my, my high school coach, we were very successful and I, I just, you know, they came at me with a different approach and it was uncomfortable, but it was good. Yeah. You know, so every single person, like I, I learn things from my players. I learn things from my coaches, you know, greatness lies within everybody and you just have to be willing and ready to receive it. Mm. And if you are, then you get the benefit of, of that goodness. So, and I, so I feel like you just answered what my second question, oh, because, because I have mental to you do yeah. <laughs> you've got it all Brandy. you've got I, it all I see the play coming Kelly I, Seriously, I know <laughs> you do. you're five steps ahead of me what do you tell the younger athletes who want to follow in your footsteps um be your best self mm. bring your best self every day and the only person I mean I would tell them a million things but honestly I think be your best self you know if you are super excited don't hide that if you are contemplative and you're analytical, don't hide that. Um, bring your best self and be open, be open to learning and again, to falling down mm. um, because, and, and laugh, laugh at yourself because good, good. I mean, honestly, it's, we're too serious. We are too We're serious. Too serious. It's, it's not, it's not that serious. It's a game. I mean, one that I want to win every single time, but yes, I mean, it's, I mean, it, what I mean, it's not that serious. Like if you're not enjoying it, you will never get out of it. What you want, because you'll be too caught up in the things that don't matter the most. Yeah. And in, in anything, and especially in soccer, it's such a flow game. It's such a, in the moment there, I think right now coaches are trying to be so, um, you know, the formation, formation, formation. And I'm like, I want to coach the women's national team. That's my dream. Really? I want to be a part of the U S women's national team program. I want to be in the youth program. I want to give back what I've been given. And the things that I want to give back are, I don't know all the answers. I don't know them all, but I, what I do have some experience with is understanding moments mm. and reading moments and being ready for moments. And as, as things are, are, um, going forward in a match, I, I know how to, uh, manipulate that moment and change the dynamic and change the pace. And I, I can't, I'm not going to do it the same way every time. And, and so for me, it's like, okay, kids go out there and be your best selves, mm. you know, common denominator, working hard. Everybody yeah. works hard. That's not, yeah. that's not a characteristic anymore. That's not a bring your hard work. Uh, okay. That's like, that's like, to me, someone who's like, doesn't understand how to improve. You're going to work hard. Of course that's nonsense. Yeah. You know? Um, so have fun. Bring your best self. Bring your best fun. self and I have fun. It. I love it. Yeah. And right, use you and use your left foot for Christ's sakes. <laughs> Don't use like I tell my kids this every time. Sorry, I have to say this. If you're not willing to try the most uncomfortable thing in practice, 
You're Never not going to try it in the game and you're going to miss the one moment that is going to make, it's going to turn the game on its head. And you're going to be so bummed because you're not going to get that moment back. And you're going to say, I wish I had, mm. don't go into something saying, I wish I had saying so I did, I did. I tried it. I did. I totally screwed it up. It was awesome. Do that. <laughs> That's better. Uh, I love it. I agree. Totally agree. Yeah. Okay. Quick hit questions to okay. end. Okay. Perfect. Finish this sentence. If I wasn't involved in soccer, I would be a dog trainer. God, fair enough. Okay. Love it. That's the yeah. first dog trainer we've gotten on this pod. <laughs> yes. Okay. Brandy, how do you take your coffee? I don't drink coffee. D- can you tell I'm naturally caffeinated? Wow. I mean, I can tell. Um, yeah. and that's incredible. Uh, <laughs> good for you. I've been drinking coffee this whole time. Um, Who's your favorite player to watch in the NWSL today? Ooh, this is tricky. This is tricky because um, as hopefully a part of an ownership group that's going to be um, involved in the NWSL, I don't want to give away all my secrets. But I I like a lot of the new young players. I'm very very encouraged and excited um, about the 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 new group of young players. Love it. Fair enough. We'll, we'll, we'll leave it to a generation. Okay. Um, who's your pick to win the title this year? Oh, there's only one right answer here. I know you want me to say your team. Cause I heard, I listened to your, I listened to your, your conversation with Jill Ellis. That yeah. Was, um, Ooh, I, I think right now, I think OL rain is like, probably would have the most points in terms of like people leaning that way because of it has a little bit more experience, but I, I, I like a, a good dark horse. I'm always in for a dark horse, to be honest with you. Right. And you're, okay. and you're now the champion. So it's not easy to win two years in a row. I know. I know. Which makes it even more interesting and exciting. Oh, I don't, de- I don't deny that. I don't deny it. Okay. We'll give you rain. And, um, that gives me more motivation to to (laughs) smash them. Um, (laughs) okay. Last question to end this pod. Where is the penalty kick sports bra today? Is it that, is it back there? Yeah. It's right there. Is there a glare? There might be a glare on it. Oh, I see it. I see it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Um, that's so good. It's life used to be in my drawer. And then when my pile got down and I was bad at laundry, I would wear it. <laughs> oh and my then, gosh. And then I thought I probably shouldn't do that. Um, and so then I donated it to okay. a museum in New York. Okay. And um, that was like around the 2008. Yeah. 2008 when we had that massive crash and the, the U.S. was having a, yeah. a fi- tough financial time. And it got, it got, um, that museum went bankrupt and all of the items in it got put into these containers and shipped to New Jersey. And it took me a year to get it back. Oh my gosh. That would be, so, be terrified. Yeah. And then when I got it back, I thought I should put it in a frame and. Oh, the- so it wasn't even framed. Well, they I like mean, put, they I, probably took it out of the frame and like put it somewhere. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Can you bring it? Can you bring it up? 
um, yeah. the camera? Oh, is that possible? Oh, yeah. I, my office manager wants to say hello. Is that okay? I, I see his tail. Come here. Come, here. come on, Ray Ray. <laughs> this is my girl, Ray. Oh, he's my hi, Ray. Yeah. Hi, Ray. <laughs> You're, oh in my, my you're in my inspiration for dog trainer. Okay, hold on. I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> just I mean, like, it's just, it's everything. It's so good. <laughs> it's incredible. It's, that's amazing. Brandy, I just want to say thank you. We took up so much of your time. This has been incredible. I, again, pinch me moment. You are an absolute inspiration. I cannot wait for people to listen to this. Um, Thank you again for the time. Like I just took so much from this and gave me so much inspiration, even for like going to training tomorrow. Truly, so. let's let's do two point sometimes. Yes, soon. yes, we we need to because we didn't get to a lot of things. But you're the best. We'll Thank you. All the best, Kelly. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to tune in next week and hit the subscribe button to be alerted when a new episode drops. Our show is produced by Just Women Sports. For more amazing sports content, go to justwomensports.com and be sure to subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and you've been listening to The Players Pod. See you next time.